Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 119 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's jump straight into part one, of course. Part one being the review part of the show. In fact, just before we get into that, it's going to be a bit of a strange show this week. And when I say that, I mean things are going to be a little bit different. Uh, we've never actually had a female guest on the show. Of course, we've had, you know, Ayaz has been away and we've had, you know, a female uh, boxing media member join us and join me, I should say, for the period of the show. But today we will be interviewing two, not just one, but two females on the show so it will be something different it will be a first here on the box art podcast a little exclusive so yeah like i say jumping into the review part of the show we're going to start with a card from last week that happened over in france it happened over in the palais des sports marcel sedan which is in some part of France, I'm not quite sure where. A couple of fights to mention on the bill. Firstly, I'm a little bit sad about this one because a guy on this bill called Frank Petitjon actually beat my my uh, you know a fighter that I like called Andrea Scarpa. Andrea Scarpa now 22 and four. Petitjon gets win number 20. He's got four losses and three draws. It was for the EBU EU. Um, super lightweight title there. A unanimous decision over 12 rounds for Frank Petitjon and a loss, unfortunately, for Andrea Scarpa. Also on this bill, Mohamed Mamoun. He picked up the IBO World Super Lightweight title. Again, the IBO, obviously, not really a big sanctioning body that holds you know, that that kind of status as a proper, proper world title. But nonetheless, it's another piece of silverware there for Mohamed Mamoun. I'm pleased for him. He's 20 wins now and two losses, his record. Also, the guy he took on, Emiliano Rodriguez, was 21-0, and 0, completely, you know, undefeated. And he took his O here. So I'm really pleased for Mamoun. He's had a good, a good 12 months or so, I suppose, now with that win and the Eggington win, of course, beforehand. Um... It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds there also. It was almost a shutout, I think, on one or two of the cards. So all the very best to Mamoun. Uh, moving over now to Germany. One fight to mention at the Box Camp P1, which sounds like a really serious venue. There was only one fight on the bill, and it was quite surprising. It was the return of Enrico Colin. Of course, he got knocked out in the final round recently against Baturbiev for the vacant IBF. Um, light heavyweight title. Well, Colin jumped back in there with a guy who was 3-11. and 11. I'm not quite sure why, but um, he jumped in there with him and knocked him out in the second round, so a TKO there in two rounds. It was only scheduled for six, but Colin is now 24-2. and two. Moving over now stateside to the Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, USA, Iaz, and remember, we 
we didn't do any predictions, but we need to talk about the prediction league. We need to bring it back because, you know, we've been slacking a little bit recently. Um, I'm going to start down the bill a little bit here. The brother of Lamont Peterson, Anthony Peterson, he took on a guy called Luis Flores, 23-8. and eight. He didn't have a great record, Flores, but I was saying that Peterson has been so inactive, about six fights in seven and, and a little bit years, I think, for him. He returned to the ring and he... He picked up another win here, a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds. It wasn't televised. I haven't seen it. That is win number 38 for Anthony Peterson. He's now 38-1. and one. Um, Yeah, Flores gets another loss, 23-9. and nine. Also on the bill, heavyweight Polishman um, Adam Kownacki. He moved to 17-0, and 0, a KO in six rounds against Iago Kiladzi, which was a really good finish. I saw the finish again. It wasn't televised, unfortunately, but I'm getting to like Kownacki. I think he's quite a solid fighter. I think... Um, I think he's based in Brooklyn. I could I could imagine it would be quite a decent fight between him and Big Baby Miller. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting to like Kaunaki. I think he's got quite a bit of talent about him. 17-0 now. Um, Marcus Brown was on the bill. He took on Francie Ntetu, who was 17-1. and I think last week I said that this could be fight of the night. Marcus Brown, um, you know... Some some people kind of saying he should be stepping it up, and whenever he does step it up, he looks really, really good. And here was no different. He picked up a TKO in round one against Francie and Tetu, so he's now 21-0, and 0, Marcus Brown. I really like the look of Marcus Brown. I, as obviously he's in that division, the, you know, the light heavyweights, which, again, there's so many guys at light heavyweight which are really going to be the future of boxing. Marcus Brown's one of them. Anthony Yard, perhaps, is up there, you know, maybe not not so much advanced as as Marcus Brown at the moment definitely doesn't have the uh, the amateur pedigree that Brown has but you know the the light heavyweight divisions really looking like a great division for years and years to come as would you agree with that oh yes i agree with that okay short and sweet there from you, Ayers. Um Let's talk about the the two main fights. I'm going to start with the you know the the, the co-main event slash the chief support. Robert Easter Jr. 20 and 0 took on Javier Fortuna 33 and 1 with one draw. It was a strange fight. I mean, Robert Easter Jr. A lot of people very high on him, and you know I thought he was quite a solid fighter. Um, you know he just didn't really look too good to be honest. Um, the fight itself, obviously, we know going in, Fortuna missed the weight, but he did come to fight, and we saw that very early on. You know, he was looking to land uh, the heavier shots, and I think he did land the heavier shots really throughout the, you know, the the period of the fight. Really, most of the heavy shots were from Fortuna. He, he seemed to carry the, the more power between the two fighters. Certainly in the early rounds, he was really landing some great shots. The referee took a point off Fortuna without warning him. I think that was in maybe the second round something like that it was really early and it was you know really premature I, I really wasn't happy with that I think that was bad officiating Fortuna seemed to hurt Easter multiple times especially in the early rounds as well um, you know Easter just was not using his jab he wasn't using his size he kept throwing short left hooks instead of just jabbing with that good jab that I think he does possess at times and you know when he was jabbing the, the you know the few times he was jabbing there was just no conviction he was just pushing out the jab obviously we saw Adrian Broner yelling advice to Easter, telling him to jab from ringside. He wasn't listening to a word AB was saying. Fortuna, you know, he showed a lot of elusiveness, to be honest. The speed was really working well for him. 
Easter, like I say, really poor judge of distance throughout the fight. It was really unbelievable. Uh, the mid-rounds, I'd say Fortuna seemed to lose the spring in his step a little bit, maybe tire a little bit. And in the sixth round, um, I remember that round, I noted that down. Easter landed a straight right, but he stood square on. You know, he didn't bring the, uh, the, you know, the hand back to his shoulder. He threw the right, and he just he stood completely square on with with the guy. Come back very lazy with his defence, and got caught by a big left hook, which stunned him uh, momentarily. Uh, there was only a few seconds left in the round, though, so Fortuna wasn't able to capitalise on that. But that was a big, um, a big moment of the fight. The movement seemed to be a real problem for Easter, though. You know, he seemed to he couldn't he couldn't cut off the ring effectively. You know, he was made to look quite ordinary. He was very scrappy, um, you know, in the fight. I think generally the, the round seven, eight, nine, and ten were quite scrappy. Round eleven, there was some decent action, but you'd probably have to edge that round to Easter. Um, round twelve, Fortuna found a bit of a second wind and definitely won that twelfth. I wasn't really scoring it, to be honest, guys. But in my gut feeling, I felt that Fortuna edged it. Really, I know that the point off early, you know, could have well, it did play a factor in 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 the cards, but. Um, you know, I thought it was a really close fight. It could have really gone either way, but my gut feeling, I thought Fortuna won. Obviously, the other champions at, at one three five eyes. Um, well, I say the other champions. I'm not quite sure what Mikey Garcia is doing at the moment, but again, he's around that weight. Lomachenko is just five pounds below that weight, and Linares obviously will be fighting this weekend. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But all those guys there, Linares, Garcia, and Lomachenko. If you were advising Robert Easter Jr., I'm sure you'd say stay well away from those fights for the moment yes i'll agree with you on that yeah um yeah i mean let's talk about the main event errol spence jr 22 and 0 going in putting his ibf world welterweight title on the line against lamont peterson um very valiant effort there from peterson i know that we all didn't really give him much of a chance going in um i thought that maybe he could pose a few problems but i, I just don't know um, you know, not much really happened in in the first round. It was it, it was. I mean, they were kind of feeling each other out a little bit. You know, not really giving either a chance, not really taking any risks. It was a little bit of a chess match. Uh, I suppose you could you'd you'd probably give those rounds really to Spence. Um, more so for the punch out, but not really that he was landing any telling shots at all. Um, the first half of the second round, Lamont landed a couple of really encouraging right hands. You know, Spence seemed to look a, a little bit like he was going to be in for a, a few problems, I suppose, over the course of the night. But like I say, it was only half a round that that really lasted for. The second half of that round, Spence landed a big shot which seemed to trouble Lamont. And from that point onwards, Lamont was on the back foot um, pretty much for the rest of the fight, really. Spence was repeatedly going to the body early on. Peterson landed two left hooks high up on the head of Spence that Spence, you know, tried to say were behind the head at one point, which I thought was laughable. Um... Round three was a good round. You know, round three was a good round. I think I think there was a lot of back and forth there. Again, referee Harvey Doc warned Spence at least three or four times in the first four rounds for low blows. Um, round four, Spence was was quite comfortably winning the round for me. I think um, I think he, he won that quite quite easy. Really, that was where he kind of seemed to take over. In all honesty, Spence's speed and power was really playing a big factor. Uh, Lamont was obviously down. Lamont Peterson was down in round five. We all knew that 
Um, Errol Spence, despite being very explosive, he doesn't really have the power of a Matisse. We were going to be very shocked if he got um, Lamont Peterson out of there quicker than Matisse did. But yeah, he had him down in round five. Lamont didn't, he didn't hold when he got up, which was really silly. You know, he's, he, I don't think his re- recuperation skills are really the best. And, you know, he got up, you'd imagine he, he should be trying to hold, but he was just trying to fight fire with fire way too often. Um, he looked he looked like an old man a little bit. Uh, I know that he's been extremely um, inactive, really. Again, like his brother, like I said last week, I made that point. He's been really inactive, and that seemed to play a part, maybe. He seemed to tire as the fight went on. But again, you've, you've got to give, give Errol Spence credit for those body shots that he was landing, like I say. But no, Peterson, you know, he looked flat-footed, almost like he was in quicksand. Um... After six rounds, Spence was clearly ahead. It seemed like it was just one-way traffic, really. It was getting a bit hard to watch. Um, You know, Peterson's eye was swollen as well. Spence in the seventh round was displaying some showmanship, you know, switching stances, landing shots, but nothing too big, really. And when Peterson went back to his corner at the end of round seven, his cornerman took a long, hard look at him and decided to pull him out. It seemed to be a difficult decision, really. You know, Lamont, Lamont Peterson's got some big balls and, you know, you've got to give him credit, nothing but credit. But, yeah, he's just he's just simply passed his best now. And Errol is obviously a very special fighter, obviously a fighter that we want to see in with the bigger names, really, at 147. And I tell you what, 147 is not short of big names. What did you make of that fight, Ayaz, Errol Spence, Lamont Peterson? Um, I told you from the start last year that Errol Spence was going to win the fight. And I told you, I, I said between round 10, but um, obviously happening round 8. But well done to Errol Spence. He's got, and now he's just been told today that he's going to be fighting on June the 16th in Dallas, Texas. The opponent's been not announced yet? Um, yeah, he's got, he's just been told, it's just been announced that he'll be fighting in oh, Dallas, Texas um, for his mandatory. Who is his mandatory? Do we know? Um, unfortunately, no, um, no answer as of yet. Yeah, but there must be the, the number one ranked guy. I'm going to have a little look. Um, if I quickly have a little look here, uh, Oh, yeah. Number one and two in the IBF are not ranked. Number three is Carlos Ocampo. So, I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, Yeah, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen there, to be honest. Um... Yeah, I mean, we can speculate. I know that there's there's something else that's happened, Ayaz, and we were going to save it for the news part of the show, but obviously um, Bradley Skeet's fight on, on February 10th is no longer happening, so... Never say never. He's ranked with the IBF. I mean, I don't think stylistically it's the best matchup for him, but never say never. But yeah, that really is it for the reviewing. That's it for for all the, all the talking in part one, so to speak. From me, it's now time to welcome, just before we end part one, our first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the golden girl herself. And it isn't just uh, a name that we give to her because she's a nice human being. It's because she simply has two, not just one, but two Olympic gold medals. It is, of course, Miss Clarissa Shields. Clarissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. So, Clarissa, first things first. Obviously, you were originally introduced to boxing by your father, 
but oh, it's been reported that your father deep down felt that boxing was more of a man's sport and wouldn't actually let you fully pursue it until you were 11, which is crazy to think that now you're only 22. And, you know, to think what you've achieved in just 11 years is phenomenal. Obviously, winning your first Olympic gold medal in London in 2012 when you were only 17 years old and then four years later winning again another another gold medal in Rio in 2016, ultimately ending your amateur career with a record of 77 wins and just one loss, just one loss. That loss, of course, coming to England's very own Savannah Marshall. So I want to ask you, Clarissa, what does it feel like to be such you know, a phenomenal athlete in, in a sport, really, what doesn't always get the credit? To do what you did in the amateurs is just unbelievable. It feels good, you know what I mean? Like, I can't be complacent with all the, you know, um, with all my achievements. I kind of got to keep looking looking forward because now I'm a world champion. I've defended my titles. Um, I'm the fastest woman to win a world title in the professionals. And it's like you really can't, like, really enjoy it. You know what I mean? You you can enjoy it, but you have to keep looking forward. And that's why I think I continue to, you know, um, uh, accomplish bigger feats. You know, because I don't ever think about, oh, I did all this and this is great. I mean, it's great, and I and I'm and I'm proud of myself, but I I still want to do more. You know, I haven't got to the ultimate goal yet. No, no, not at all. Like I say, only 11 years taking the game seriously, if you like, and what you've achieved thus far is absolutely unbelievable. Um, obviously, that one loss coming to Savannah Marshall, she's not long ago turned pro as well. Is that a rivalry that's continued into the pro ranks at all, or do you not really think about her? Is she not really on your radar at the moment? You know what, any any female boxers on my radar, you know, who who has a big name or, um, of course, somebody that beat me, of course, I would like to get back in the ring with her and fight her and beat her. But um, it's not something that I, that I think about. I think I thought about it a lot before, you know, I won my second Olympics. But after winning, you know, two Olympics and then, you know, the girl that beat you was at, she's at every Olympic, she's at every world championship, and she lose the day before you and you win and make it to the finals. It's like it just shows you who's the better fighter, you know. So I've defeated three or four girls who have beat Savannah Marshall already, you know, abroad. So it's like I really don't, you know, I mean, it was a loss. But then again, it's just like it still didn't stop me from doing what I was doing. You know, my goal in 2012 wasn't to go undefeated. My goal was to win the Olympic gold medal, and that's what I did. You know, same thing 2016, you know, and I only lost one time in my whole in my entire life. So, I mean, it's just, it was just a loss and I don't really like, you know, take it personal, not even more. And I would love to fight her again, of course, but, you know, she's at a different weight class right now, I think. And, uh, you know, if she wants to make the fight happen as much as I do, then it'll, then it'll happen. But it's not a break. It's not a make or break thing for me. You know, of course I would love to avenge my loss, but if I don't, I'm still going to be, I'm still a better fighter and a greater fighter than her. It doesn't matter me and obviously you decided to turn pro in november of 2016 clarissa was it an easy or was it a tough decision to turn over and you know become a professional it was hard because i know i could go back to 2020 and win another olympic gold medal without even you know trying hard you know i know that i could do it but then again it's like turning pro i didn't know what they offer i didn't know they would you know give me my recognition you know what i mean and and give me my respect but i knew that without me women's boxing wouldn't wouldn't grow so i had to make that decision and i think i made a good decision 
I think so too, and I just want to quickly run through you know, the fights that you've had thus far in the pro ranks. Obviously, in your debut, you took on French on Cruz de Zern in what was her professional debut also. You dominated her over four rounds, winning every round, making your professional debut a successful one. Your next fight was against Sylvia Sabados, which was for the NABF title, in which you recorded your first professional knockout and grabbed your first title. Of course, after that, you took on Sidney LeBlanc for the WBC silver title. Title. You completely dominated her over eight rounds. What was it like to go eight rounds though at that point for you, Clarissa? Was it something new? Was it something challenging? It was definitely a test for myself. You know, I've always put, you know, people, I mean, just in general, we always put limits on our bodies. And I thought that my limit was, you know, the most I ever had boxed was six rounds. So getting ready up in camp for an eight rounder, you know, it was like a lot of sparring, a lot of running. I had changed in my diet and I wanted everything just to be perfect and I didn't want to you know, get tired during the last round, you know, just in case if I had to go on. And um, I just remember doing the eight rounds with Cindy LeBlanc. I didn't even think about the round, you know. I just was, like, in their box, and I was having fun. And uh, and then before I know it, it's the end of the fight. <laughs> No, that's a good thing, that's a good thing. And obviously after that, you, you do something which is relatively unheard of. You fight for two world titles in just your fourth pro fight against the previously undefeated 16-0 and Nikki Adler. You dominated her and then knocked her out in round five. You ended 2017 by having three fights, winning all three fights, and picking up four titles along the way, including two of them being world titles. It was a sensational year for you, 2017, Clarissa. Is it right up there with 2012 and 2016, or is it bigger than that? Is it not as good as that? How did you see it all? Winning a world title? Yeah, just the whole year 2017. Would you say it was as oh, good the as whole... 2012 and 2016? Um, I gotta say it was bigger because it's, it's the future. You know what I mean? It's not the past anymore. So, you know, of course, you know, I like for every year to get better and me to, you know, conquer a different feat. So I gotta say that 2017 was definitely better than 2016. You know, even though I love the Olympics and you know, I love fighting world championships. It's still just like, you got to keep looking forward. And there's always a level above everything. I like there's a level above being a world champion. You know, like, in the level above that is being, you know, being a world champion, but also being an international superstar, like on Anthony Joshua level. You know, there's a level above being Anthony Joshua level, and that's the level of Muhammad Ali. You know, and I think Muhammad Ali is the highest you can go when you, when you think about as far as in the seats. And I'm just trying to, you know, keep uh, keep setting goals to where I can be, you know, as great as Muhammad Ali. You know, I'll never be better. I'll always take second place to Muhammad Ali just because of my respect and love for him as a as a person and as a boxer. But it's just like there's there's always levels, and I feel like I, I, and I up the level every year. So, of course, 2017, I uh, you know, 2018, I plan on making it better than 2017. Yeah. I absolutely love that answer. That's a hundred. I agree with every single word there. Muhammad Ali, especially being a hero. Obviously, you've got the the IBF title now and the WBC title now, Clarissa. And I've actually dissected what they stand for. Okay, so the IBF, in my opinion, you've got that belt. It stands for I beat females, and the WBC stands for Women's Boxing Yay. equals Clarissa. Okay. 
That's what I'm renaming it to. <laughs> Women's boxing equals Clarissa. That's what I say. But anyways, in your last fight, obviously, which was just a couple of weeks ago now, you took on another undefeated fighter by the name of Tori Nelson. She was 17-0 and with three draws. You beat her unanimously over 10 rounds. I didn't happen to see the fight, but I know that online, some of the boxing world, you know, were saying that you looked a little bit average, that the fight was a little bit boring, but you did win every single round. It was a complete shutout, and it was also your first fight where you'd gone 10 rounds. And Tori Nelson, it was her 13th fight that she'd been 10 rounds. I suppose you just can't please everybody, Clarissa. Um, You know, I didn't think the fight was worn. I mean, when you got somebody, you know, I just think that she was tough. And I think that, I mean, I didn't do anything spectacular that fight. I mean, I won. I, I downloaded I used my combination. You know what I mean? I didn't drop her. But I almost dropped her. But, you know, she was good at surviving. I didn't think the fight was born. Yeah, I mean, even when like I watched I say, it, it was you know I threw I, I threw over six hundred and fifty six punches, and you tell me that's a boring fight to you, <laughs> and I landed over forty percent, <laughs> you know. So I guess you can watch the fight yourself. But I didn't I didn't see any articles the way they the way they said it was boring. But I've seen people, yeah, you know, put their it. expectations on me of saying like I should have knocked her out, and I'm just like I was thinking to myself, you get in there and try to knock her out, you know, she's ducking and she's holding. And you get your combinations off. As soon as you get off a good punch, here she is clinching you. So, I mean, I just did what I had to do. I didn't really try to, you know... Yeah, no, I mean, I'm really just talking about, I think it was one person that you responded to on Twitter. I haven't really seen anything else, but that one person I thought was a little bit harsh because, like I say, she'd been uh, she'd been 10 rounds, not just had a fight scheduled for 10 rounds. She'd actually done 12 10-rounders before that fight. It was your first one, and you completely shut her out. So I think that you should be given credit for that, but it is what it is. Like I say, you can't really please everybody. What did you make of the fight itself? I know that you just briefly touched on it there, but, you know, you've, you've now taken two girls unbeaten records in your last two fights. How did you assess your performance the other night, like I say, against Tori, Tori Nelson? You know, I think I should have used my brain more, you know what I mean? I felt like it was like I was sparring against an, uh, like a novice fighter when I was in there, so I didn't really have to do, you know, much. I wasn't worried about getting getting hit with a big shot. I was more of just making sure I didn't get headbutted. You know, I used my combinations and I used my jab, and it wasn't like, you know, um, you know, tricky. I think if I would have... Um, use my mind more and I would have, you know, used some feints and would have fainted there and then then and then through my shots because it's like she kinda of braced up for everything that I was throwing. You know what I mean? So it was like she just she knew that I wasn't like like if it was like I was lined up to go to the head, I was throwing punches to the head. I snuck down to the body on her uh on her a few times but, you know, I think that I should have, you know, set up my punches more kinda of like Earl Spence did against Lamont Peterson. You know what I mean? Like make all my shots count. You know what I mean? Instead of, I mean, I throw combinations and they all land, but make them like, you know, I like severely land, severely do damage. And I think I started doing that. Um, I was going to the body from the second to third round, but I think I really started like to like to look at where I was, you know, aiming my punches and being precise, like sixth, seventh, eighth round. And I think I should start doing that earlier because I know the sixth round, um, when she came out for the seventh, she was really, really tired. She was weak. You know what I mean? But, you know, she still was able to survive. I didn't hurt her enough, you know, early on. So that's why she was able to last the whole 10 rounds. And I think I should have maybe slowed down more. But I, but, but I gave myself an A, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything superb, you know. Well, I mean, beating, to me, beating her was superb. But, I mean, like like I said, I didn't use any of my any of my tricks. 
I just kind of kept it like a, like a one, two, three match, you know, a couple uppercuts here and there. I just really kept it simple. And that was just because, you know, I didn't want um, anything freaky to happen. I think like maybe the second or third round, I had thought she punched me, but it was actually a headbutt. And, uh, and the and the headbutt kind of made me dizzy. And um, I, But I thought she hit me. And when I sat down in the corner, I, um, I asked my coach. And I know I was looking right at her. When, you know, she didn't even throw a punch. She just trying to – she kind of just came in. And she headbutted the hell out of me. And I remember um, I felt kind of dizzy. So uh, when, I, when I sat down in the corner, I talked to my coach, uh, you know, I asked him, and he like it wasn't it wasn't a um, it wasn't a punch she had, but it just like because I was like I was about to say damn she got some punching power, but she didn't have punching power either. You know she didn't have any punching power. I really didn't have nothing to worry about. I just was like I want to you know use my combinations. But then too you know when I was in camp for that eight weeks, I think eight weeks was it was too long for me, even though I had all that all that time off because in the eight weeks of camp I got sick three times. Uh, once with food poisoning, once with the flu. So, you know, that, you know, I was I was still training while I was sick, you know what I mean? So when so when the fight actually got there, you know, I just was like, I'm just sick of training and, and my body, you know, I had to make it have as much energy as it like could, but 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 I didn't feel as good as I as I felt for the Nikki Atlas fight. No, that's fair enough. Like, you know, you I think that's fair yeah. enough. You've you've been quite critical there of yourself in a in a fair way. I think that you know, that's very honest of you to, to say. I know that after the fight, you were involved in a bit of a bizarre situation with a certain airline, Clarissa. What actually happened there? It seemed to be crazy. Oh, it was it was it was through United. Um, we we kind of got it got, um, got it taken care of, and I'm still waiting on a phone call. Um, they already called and gave me a two hundred fifty dollar voucher for United for the incident, but I still want to file my complaint. On, on the lady, so I'm waiting on another phone call back from them, and I haven't received a call back yet. So, you know, one, you know, one part of the process is done, but I'm still waiting on the other. You know, and if, and and if I don't get to file my complaint, I'll just have to go there in person and do the food. You know what I mean? But I'm I'm trying to let them handle it. But it was like just a lady just being very disrespectful, and um, after she was being disrespectful, she wouldn't give me her name. You know what I mean? And I was asking her name so I could file a complaint, and she wouldn't give me her name, told me I had to go to customer service. And this is over a bag that I had the bag packed to. She didn't want to give me the bag. Like, she, um, I don't know if it was. I don't want to, I think she was just prejudiced, you know, and she was black also. She was just a, a, a she was a lighter version of black, but um, she had something against me from the first time she looked at me, and she just kind of, you know, had an attitude from when I first you know, gave her the bag tag, and we and I, I told her that you know I was, I was getting the bag, and she had an attitude from, 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 you know, just from that point, and she was very disrespectful, and, and to a point, she like told me to get out of her office, and um, she was she was a taller woman, and tried to, um, tried to push me out of her office, and I don't think she knew who I was because no, neither do I. You're not Whoa. gonna you're not gonna push me. No, you know, she tried to slam the door, and I put my put my arm on the door and I just was like, well, shut the door then. If, if you're so strong, shut the door, <laughs> you know, and it just, just, just to let her know, like, I don't know who you think I am or what, you know, I don't know if you think I'm a little girl or what, you know, but she really thought she was going to like close this door with me right here. And I'm just like, you know, this is, and I mean, that's even on camera. Like they had that on camera at the United Airlines. And, and, and I told them when I want to make, make my complaint, like, this is on camera. This lady really was trying to slam me in the door. Like, but she couldn't, of course, because I'm super strong and everything. But <laughs> it's still like she thought she was just going to bully me, you know, like just 
tell me to get out of her office. She's not giving me the bag and all this other mess. But, you know, hopefully I get a call back this week because if I don't, I'm still going to call again and I'm still want I want to get her name. I want to file a complaint. And I want them to look into how she how she treated me because that because I could if I would have fought her I would have went to jail. Yeah, and I mean, she's gonna take me to court trying to sue me. You know what I mean? And it's like I'm an I'm a you know international athlete, so I'm like I feel like it should be looked at the same way for her. You know she she tried she almost caused me to fight her. You know what I mean? I'm like and if I would have fought her I would have had to face my consequences. So she's faced her consequences for me not you know fighting her for her trying to cause something like that. Yeah, I was going to ask, did she not know who she was messing with? But it obviously seems like she didn't, because I don't think she'd have done it. But I don't. <laughs> but no, I don't you know, I don't know. I, I think she probably realized once the situation was almost over. But, I mean, this lady was just, I don't know. She had, like, some kind of attitude problem. But then the next day, um, when I sent my boyfriend to get the bag... Um, he had spoke to another lady that was there about it who worked for United and she said yeah that lady gives everybody problems so like she gives everybody problems this is a known fact and she still you know like you guys just like kind of accept it like oh that's just her no you don't just get to disrespect people you don't just get to do that so I really want to file my complaint so I'm just I'm going to wait out a few more days and if I don't get a call with them and they and I'm saying that they filed a complaint and they looked into it and they watched the video then I'm gonna, you know, do it myself. Yeah, no, no. Like I say, bit of a un- yeah. unfortunate situation there. Let's try to. Uh, I got a couple more questions. I want to try to whisper through yeah, yeah. because I don't want you to, uh, you know, to, to 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 be with me for too long. I know you have got things to do. Um, I want to ask you also, Clarissa, what usually goes on in a day in the life of Clarissa Shields? What do you get up to in your spare time? Oh, in my spare time, um. I go to Florida. I, I I sleep really. I sleep a lot to be honest. I love sleeping. <laughs> um, you know, I go and visit my friends. I go out. You know, I go out to the club, dance a little bit, and I love I love karaoke. You know, karaoke is my thing. Wow! Like really? I actually like I actually yeah I actually have um this app called Smule on my uh, phone, and um it's like you can sing karaoke on there, you know, like they have all the songs, whatever you want to look up, you can look it up and you can sing it on there. And then it actually records you, you got the words on your screen. And, um, yeah. Wow. So karaoke is my thing though. I, I really like love karaoke it? and I, you know, it's all over the board. I can sing some Rihanna, you know, I can sing some Alicia Keys. I even rap some rappers like Meek Mills and Young Jeezy. Oh wow! Well, I think next time we yeah. get you on, next time we get you on, we've definitely got to get a, get a little solo of Rihanna from you for sure. <laughs> next time yeah, Rihanna, work, 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 work. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> we'll save that one for next time. I'm sure that'll be amazing. Right. Um. So so yeah. The 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 one bad thing about women's boxing is that there isn't too many female fighters, and the big name fighters are mostly not in the same weight class most of the time. However. The biggest name fighter near your weight is the weight down from you, Christina Hammer. She's 22 and 0. She's a middleweight. Is she on your hit list yeah. at all at this stage, Clarissa? Would you go down to middleweight for her? Come on now. Of course I'm going down. You know, I, I don't want to cause these girls any trouble by them having to come up. I don't want anybody saying, oh, she was bigger than me. That's why That's why she beat me. I'll, I, I'll go down, you know, just to make these fights happen. Um, and, you know, I don't know why... You know, Christina Hammer, she's not a bad fighter. And I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to say she is, but I just know she's not better than me. You know, like, I've, I've, I've seen the top girls that she's 
fought against, you know, Sophie Ann Mathis to Callie Reese and all those girls. And it's just like, I'm not them. You know, you, I, I I have better skills and I'm better athletically. Like, I'm not just like a tough face, you know what I mean? I'm not just a big, you know, big, you know, strong muscle. Like, I actually know how to box. And I think that she's never been in there with somebody as athletic as her and um, that actually has, like, boxing skills. Yeah, no. You know, and I, I, and I think that, you know, she, but she, she's a good boxer. Though. I'm not going to say she's, she's bad, but I'm definitely going to go down and fight her. And me and her are going to fight this year. Yeah, I, I, really, I really am looking forward to that one. I really hope we do see an announcement at some point. Um, and also, and, and forgive my ignorance if I've got this completely wrong, but is, is the super middleweight division a bit of a bad weight? Because if I'm not mistaken, I, I, I'm sure there's no light, heavy or cruiserweight division in female boxing. Is that right? I have no idea. I don't think, because when I try to look online... I don't. Yeah, when I try to look on I don't, I don't look above rate. my weight. I just know the, the, the heaviest I get is 68, you know, for yeah. me. Um, there yeah. are girls that I think, I think, I think Franchine Cruz may be opening up the 175 division. Yeah, it's strange you know, but, um, I looked online, Clarissa, and mm-hmm. when I when I had a look on BoxRec to see if there were any light heavyweights to see who was at that weight, there's none, and there's none at cruiserweight. The next weight up from super middleweight is actually heavyweight. I was thinking, wow, your your options are a bit limited, you know, if you unless you go down to middleweight, you know, it's a bit of a, I don't know, I'll, I'll have to look into that a little bit more. Um, yeah, I want to ask you also, Clarissa, um, do you know at this stage when you'll next be out, when you'll next be fighting? Yeah, my next fight is April 6th. April 6th. Do you know where it is or who it's against? Can you say anything at this stage? I don't even know yet. I don't know where it's at, and I don't know who it's against. I wish I knew, but um, we still waiting. It's kind of hard for me to get opponents. You know, all these girls talk all this trash about, oh, wow, you know, she's not that good. She's getting all this attention for no reason and all this bull crap. But then when it, like, comes to them, you know, Signing that contract and gloving up, they don't want to do it. So, yeah. you know, it's actually hard for me to get opponents because of how great I am. You know, I don't know any other girl that'll, that'll fight against, you know, two undefeated fighters just in her first five fights. You know, if you add up all the people that I've boxed against in just my five fights, I mean, if you put all their records together, it's definitely more wins than losses. Yeah, you it's, haven't it's, fought. It's like freaking. You haven't yeah. fought a fighter who's got a losing record at all yet. No. Now, yeah. Sylvia, Le, uh, Sylvia uh, Shabados was 15 and 8. And then if you want to add uh, 16 and 0 plus 16, I mean, plus 17 and 0, what is yeah. that? Freaking 33 right there. That's 33 and 0 right there. And then plus the 15 of uh, Sylvia, that's 48. And then yeah. if you want to add the four from um, Sydney, what is that? 52. So you know, I'm I'm 52 and eight. If you uh, up in the opponents that I box against, that's that that's insane. You know what I mean? That's not even. I've never even heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> so whoever you do end up fighting on April 6th, it's it's, it's going to be another it's going to be another win for you, I'm sure. Hopefully, if they can't get an opponent, hopefully they can maybe ring up United Airlines and get that woman in. That'd be great. <laughs> nah, I'm good. If she's the kind of lady who probably take me to court. She looks kind of crazy. I'm I want to ask you. I want to ask you also, Clarissa. Just coming down to the last couple of questions now. I like to ask this question to all of the fighters that we speak to from overseas. Who would you? say is your favorite 
favourite UK fighter? I know you're only young. You may not know some of the some of the history. You know the history in in UK boxing. But who's your favourite UK fighter that comes to mind straight away? It can be a fighter that's still fighting now. It can be a fighter that's retired years ago. Well, you know, I have to give it to Anthony Joshua right now. Yeah. You know, I just, I just love, I love him and adore him. I think everybody knows that, though. I love and adore Anthony Joshua. That is like my um, celebrity boo. <laughs> Yeah, he is obviously doing all the right things at the moment, ticking all the boxes and, you know, arguably one of the biggest names in the sport. So, uh, yeah, I think from a from a British standpoint, we're all very excited about him. And finally, Clarissa, just before I let you go, have you got any kind of message or anything at all that you want to get across to the UK fans? If you want to say anything just before we let you go, take it away. Um, Well, just my message to the UK fans, you guys support Katie Taylor. You guys get behind Anthony Joshua. And um, I hope to one day come uh, to come across the pond and fight over there for you guys. And hope you guys come out and see me. And even if you can't, you know, um, travel to the U.S. and uh, and I come and I come and see me in person. And I love all my fans. Hope you guys, you know, tweet me or whatever. And just know, like, even though you guys love Tyson Fury, I hate Tyson Fury. So I'm still gonna keep doing that. <laughs> you can't say that on this show, okay? So we're big fans of Tyson. <laughs> I can't stand Tyson Fury. He is just, I don't know, after he said, you know, I don't like people that disrespect women. And then he's not even a good, not a great fighter to me. He doesn't have any, like, skills. Am I tripping? You're hurting my feelings now. (laughs) I'm, 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 all right, well, let me stop. Well, I got Tyson Fury. I definitely want to see him get in the ring with Anthony Joshua or I think he got Klitschko at the end. You know, Klitschko was, he probably didn't even train for Tyson, you know what I mean, for Tyson Fury. (laughs) He probably just thought, oh, I I can beat this guy. I went in there and lost and disappointed the whole freaking world, but whatever. Okay, okay, fair enough. Nice. It's definitely a fight we want to see Joshua and and Fury at some point. Okay, listen, Clarissa, it's been a real pleasure having you on this podcast. It really has. Thank you for your time. Best of luck with your fight coming up April 6th, and we'll catch up again soon, I'm sure. Okay, thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part. But as always, it's a bit of a routine now. Before we jump into that, we go over to Ayaz with the latest boxing news. Ayaz, it's been a it's been a busy week in boxing, hasn't it? Let's uh, let's let's bring the listeners up to speed on the latest news. Take it away. Oh yes, it is. Right, Michael Conlon will now be trained by Adam Booth. Yeah, interesting link up. To be honest, Ayaz. Um, you know, obviously, it's not the first fighter. Um, you know, to, to to be promoted and to be fighting in one country and then to be trained and to live in another country. You know, it's, I suppose the hard thing about it is that the two countries are in different continents, so there's going to be a lot of travelling for Michael Conlon, but it's nothing that he's not used to. Let's have it right, he was a fantastic amateur. Um, we're very excited about him in the pro ranks, and... It's an interesting link-up. I think that Adam Booth's one of the best trainers in the UK. I've said it countless times. Um, you know, he's got quite a few prospects on his hands now, really. I mean, you've got Charlie Edwards there. You've got Josh Kelly. Ryan Burnett, I suppose, isn't no longer a prospect. Um, you know, Michael Conlon now. He's, you know, he's, he's got a great stable of prospects. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if it's the right move for him or not because he hasn't put a, a foot wrong yet. So you can't really say, well, his old trainer wasn't good enough and he needs to change. So, I mean, I wish him all the best. Like I say, um, phenomenal fighter, phenomenal trainer. So you'd imagine phenomenal results, really. Um, Abner Morrow's Santa, Leo Santa Cruz uh, fight will happen on June the 9th in LA. Yeah, of course, it's a rematch. Um, you know, that featherweight division, really, when you look at it, 
Um, you know, Leo Santa Cruz, I certainly say, is the number one fighter um, in that in that weight class at the moment. And this fight with Mares, I mean, the first fight was a good was a good fight. Um, I remember that they both shared a bill a few months back against um, pretty pointless opponents, really. Uh, everybody just wanted to see the rematch. I think that they tried to kind of build it just a tiny bit more. I'm not quite sure if it worked or not, but. I mean, it's going to be a good fight. Mares is a solid fighter, you know. It's, it's, it's a decent fight, but there's so many other names at featherweight in which I'd rather see those guys in there with Leo Santa Cruz. I'd like to see the Frampton third fight. Obviously, that's not going to be happening, um, if if ever. Certainly not in the in the near future. Um, and obviously, there's a bunch of other names. There's going to be one that we're going to be talking about in the news part, of course, um, which which we're in, and I suppose we're going to be um, talking about it in just a moment. But yeah, there's there's a few other fighters there really that I'd like to see Leo Santa Cruz tested with, but I don't think that Mares is good enough to beat him. But hopefully, it makes for a good fight because, like I say, the first fight was a good one. Lee Selby will defend his IBF belt against Josh Warrington on May nineteenth. Yeah, that's the fight I was talking about. The two big-named featherweights from the UK. Not just the only two. I'm sure there's another two or three or four. Um, Kid Galahad included. Um, yeah, it's a great fight. It's a great fight. Um, May 19th. It's a bit of a shame that we've got to wait that long, really. It's, it's obviously um, just under four months away. Oh, May, sorry. Um, yeah, just under four months away. What am I talking about? Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a shame that we've got to wait that long, but, you know... We all knew that the fight was going to be happening. It's good that it's finally got over the line. Eddie Hearn, at one stage, had both fighters, and whether they were ready or not, you know, the fight didn't get made. And Frank Warren's only just linked up with both fighters, really, and straight away the fight's been made. So credit to Frank Warren there. Um, I don't think that it's, you know, entirely Eddie Hearn's fault. I think that there was a bit of it where Josh Warrington's team just felt he wasn't ready. I mean, that's what we're led to believe. But, no, it's a good fight. Um... It's a good fight. I think that it's a hundred percent going points. You know, if anybody's thinking about betting on a knockout, save your money. It's a hundred percent going points, and I think Lee Selby wins that fight pretty comfortably. But I'm looking forward to it. May the best man win. They seem to both be good guys. Obviously, we're a little bit biased. Lee Selby is a big friend of the show, so um, yeah, I'm excited for both guys. But I'm really excited for Selby, really, because you know it seems like a long, long time since he's been in there with a big name. He's been taking on all these challenging fights. You know, you can't knock Selby, but he hasn't really had that big British bust-up since, well, when you try and think about it, I suppose, since probably Stephen Smith, which seems like a long, long time ago now. So, yeah, I'm happy for Lee Selby. It's long overdue a big fight for him. Uh, Frank, Frank Ron's February 10th card has been cancelled. Yeah, um, that was the bill. Like I say, that Bradley Skeet was going to be fighting on. Zolani Tete was going to be defending his world title. He had to pull out with an injury. Um, it wasn't so much that that um, that Bradley Skeet was a big part of why the show's not going ahead. From my understanding, um, after Zolani Tete got injured, the, you know, the, the show was still gonna was still gonna happen, but. Daniel Dubois has been ill in the past couple of weeks and he's not been able to properly train. So that is the reason. So, you know, Zelani Tete's injury paired with Daniel Dubois' illness has caused Frank Warren to call the show off completely. I don't think they were um, having having a very easy time of also getting Bradley Skeet the right opponent for that day as well. So 
Um, it's a shame, really. But, yeah, it goes to show how much Frank Warren's got invested in Daniel Dubois to pull a showdown for a guy who's only, like, 5-0 and or 6-0, and Daniel Dubois. So, just goes to show how important he is for Frank Warren's future plans. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit annoyed, really, because I was really looking forward to going to that one. But he has put a card on, on... I think it's at York Hall, yeah, it is at York Hall, on the 24th of February. So two weeks after that date, it's going to be probably a bit of a prospect show. So I don't think you'll have Bradley Skeet on there, but um, it should be a few prospects. I know that Archie Sharp will probably be on that bill, because Archie Sharp, funny enough, his baby, his his girlfriend is is heavily pregnant, and um, their baby is due on February 10th. So for him to fight on that day, I said, I said to him, you know, like, obviously, I, I speak to him quite a bit, you know, not on the show. And he was kind of like, Ugh, you know, I've got a fight on February 10th, but the baby's due, it's going to all be mad. And I'm pleased for him, he's got an extra two weeks. So hopefully the baby comes on time and everything's well. And, um, you know, he can fight um, two weeks later. Hopefully he gets a, a decent amount of sleep in before that fight. But yeah, I'm sure he'll be on that bill amongst some of Frank Warren's other top prospects. So I'm, I'm excited for that one. I love a York Hall card, everybody knows that. Finally, Adrian Broner will face Omar Figueroa, and on the undercard, Javonna Davis will be fighting. Yeah, wow, that is a that's a cracking fight, Ayaz. I wasn't even aware of that. Omar Figueroa, obviously, he's been on the show a couple of times. I really like Omar Figueroa, and he's very underrated because he had that spell out of the ring where everybody kind of forgot him. You know, he beat Ricky Burns fairly easy in Texas when I think he had a broken hand, and he was just, you know, after that, he, he kind of disappeared for quite a while. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what weight is at. Does it say what weight is at at Ayaz? Unfortunately not. Yeah, because it was it was funny because um, obviously uh, Figueroa really and truly when Figueroa was was I was going to say winning fights but he's still undefeated but when he was really on a roll you know he was fighting at lightweight and then he moved up to one forty for Ricky Burns and then he really ballooned up um, when he took on a- a- Antonio Demarco he was actually he actually weighed in at a junior middleweight you know he was one hundred and fifty one pounds for that one. And then his last fight against Robert Guerrero, in which he knocked him out in the third round, which was unbelievable. It really was a brilliant performance, um, especially coming off of, you know, like over a year and a half out the ring. And he got in there against Guerrero, but obviously that fight was at 147. So it'll be interesting to see if this is at 140 or 147. I'm going to send him a text. I'm going to send him a text right now, actually. Stay right there. This This could be exclusive. He might not get back to me. Hang on, stay there. Omar Figueroa. Omar, congratulations on the Broner fight. I know you've wanted it for a long time. What weight will it be at? Right, there you go. That's an exclusive. I've sent him that one. So hopefully he gets back to me. Um... Omar's a nice guy, but yeah, like I say, undefeated fighter, very skillful fighter. Um, he's 27 and 0 now with one draw. Um, Adrian Broner, I mean, you just don't know what version of him's going to show up. I feel like we've said that so many times. I mean, um, 
you know, when he's on his job, he's he's phenomenal. He really is. Whether you like him or not, he's a really, really good fighter when he's on his job. And we saw glimpses of that when he took on Mikey Garcia in the later part of the fight. And Mikey Garcia said to me a couple of weeks ago that, you know, Broner can really punch as well. So um, it's interesting. I think what weight is that really makes a big difference to this. I think if it's, a, if it's a welterweight, I think that Omar's probably got the edge. Because I think naturally Omar's... You know, I think he kills himself to get down in weight a little bit because he certainly balloons up. It's either that or he's just not the hardest trainer out there. But then again, neither's Broner. So it's a great fight. But Omar Figueroa has wanted that Broner fight for a long, long time. And this is his chance. And I tell you what, if he beats Broner, that's a huge name for his resume. His resume has got some great names on it, but I think it's probably lacking that one standout name. And this could be it for him. But saying that, you know, like I say, if Broner switches it on, Broner is a brilliant fighter. Broner would definitely have to be the favourite in that fight, but boy, oh boy, I really give both men credit for taking the fight, and I really hope that Omar can get it done for sure. Oh, and also, sorry, uh, Javante Davis on the undercard, yeah, it would be good to see him fight again. Again, his last fight on that Mayweather-McGregor undercard, when he missed the weight, he seemed to not quite know where he was. It was really weird. He kept gazing up in the sky. It was It was bizarre, but he got the job done. Um, I'd like to see him in there with somebody that we know, not just a guy who had a bunch of wins, you know, against complete journeymen. So, yeah, I'd like to see him tested. And, you know, he's a great fighter as well. And it's, it's funny that he's on Adrian Broner's undercard because those guys absolutely can't can't stand each other. So, yeah, I mean, we'll have to reach out to Javante's people, hopefully get him on the show, and Omar Figueroa the same, I'm sure. That's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, diving into the preview part of the show now. Let's try to whiz through this. Um, we're going to start with a card that's happening over in the Crown Plaza Hotel, Glasgow. One fight to mention over here. Gary Cornish, 24-2. and two. Um, He takes on David Howe, 14-6. and six. David Howe's very limited, Obviously, we see him get knocked out by Dave Allen. Gary Cornish, we saw him get absolutely sparked out by uh, by by Anthony Joshua. I think I was at that fight, to be honest. Um, Gary Cornish is six foot seven. David Howe is six foot eight. So it's really um, two giants in there, you know, absolutely huge guys. Um, it's a six rounder. The funny thing about this is David Howe has already planned a fight about two weeks after. So I think that's quite brave of him. Um, but yeah, all the best to both guys. I don't really have a horse in that race either. But yeah, two two big guys that, I mean, I don't want to be harsh on Cornish. I think he's, you know, he's okay. But yeah, I think he, he's probably the favorite, which is why I think it's quite brave from David Howe planning a future fight. Um Moving over now to the Grey Eagle Resort and Casino in Alberta, Canada. One fight to mention here. Um, former world champion Zab Judah, 43-9, takes on Noel Rincon, who is 21-13 with one draw. Zab Judah has been out the ring for a year. This is like his 53rd fight, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, Zab Judah certainly passed his best now. I'm not quite sure um, what he has to you know, has to has to prove, really. He's been around the block a long, long time, obviously turning pro in 1996. So he's been a pro for coming up 22 years, which is staggering. He's probably one of the oldest, well, I say one of the oldest. I mean, he's he's been around a long time. But yeah, for, for in terms of being a pro the longest, he's certainly right up there. Um, this guy he's taking on, though, I don't really see him as a threat, to be honest. Um, 
he lost his last fight by knockout. He's lost quite a few fights by knockout, and they're all to names that we've never heard of. He's been, he's, you know, he's, he's been knocked out nine times in thirteen losses. So I don't really see much danger there. Should be a relatively easy win for Zab Judah. Moving over now to the Arena Riga in Riga, Latvia. This is, of course, a World Boxing Super Series semi-final fight here. I as um. Firstly, on the undercard, Sweden's very own Otto Wallin. He's a heavyweight. He's 18 and 0. He's in an eight-rounder against a guy who's six and five. Bit of a poor opponent there, but it is what it is. Um, also on this bill, the main event. I'm just going to talk about the main event. Screw the co-main event. It's not a great one. Um, 23 and 0. Maris Bradis in his hometown fights. Alexander Usyk, 13-0. I'm very surprised that this one's happening in Latvia. Bredis puts his WBC World Cruiserweight title on the line, and Usyk puts his WBO World Cruiserweight title on the line. Of course, a 12-round fight, as both men undefeated. It's a great, great fight, first and foremost, but how do you see that fight playing out, Bredis and Usyk? I think it's gonna be a very good fight, but I have to go. I'm gonna edge. I'm gonna go with Usyk to win on points because I think Usyk's favourite to win this tournament. Yeah, I mean, he is the favourite to win the tournament. Um, you know, Bradis is obviously a guy who who can punch. You know, so can so can Usyk. But Bradis, I, I don't know. I think out of the four remaining contenders, I'd probably have to stick him. You know, stick him last, stick him fourth. Really, I know that Styles make fights, but something about Bradis, he's he's not the most eye-catching fighter, and I mean that in the most respectable way possible. That win against Perez wasn't a great fight, and it sticks in my mind as one of the poor fights of the World Boxing Super Series um, you know, tournament, and not just the Cruiserweight one, but also including the Super Middleweight tournament. That fight against uh, against Perez was you know, not a great fight, and obviously the fight before that, when he beat Huck, that was... Um, you know that was that wasn't a great fight either. Really, let's be honest. Huck is way way past it, um, and yeah, his two last fights, Breedis, have both gone the distance. So when he stepped it up, he's he's gone the distance. He hasn't managed to get the knockout. And Usyk, like I say, really really skilled guy. I know he's been training with um, Isaac Chamberlain, which I think is fantastic. And once again, in his last fight, he took on Marco Huck and he knocked him out in ten rounds. You know, so. Yeah, I definitely have to, not just on their recent performances, but just on fighter basis. I definitely think Usyk will win this fight, obviously. Um, I don't think, I, I can't really see Bradis getting stopped. I think Bradis is a very, very tough character. Um, the good thing about this is, obviously, in Bradis' last fight, he took on Mike Perez. Mike Perez is a southpaw. So that is brilliant preparation to take on the best Southpaw in the division in Usyk. So that's one very clever thing there for um, for Bradis. Maybe he had that in mind when he was, you know, being seeded and choosing the other fighters. That would be a very clever. Al Siesta, I'm sure, is behind that, his manager. Very witty, very clever guy. Um... So, yeah, I like the fight. It's a fantastic fight. Obviously, it's going to be on ITV um, pay-per-view or ITV box office, I think it's called. But it's free, which is fantastic for UK fight fans. I'm looking forward to the fight. Um, you know, it's, it's fantastic that they're both getting in the ring. Um, it's fantastic that it's free. Credit to the Sourlands and the rest of it. And um, may the best man win. But for me, I, I definitely think a Usyk points win. I'm going with you. I don't see a knockout despite both guys. You know, most of the time finishing fights by knockout. I think Breedis is very tough. So, yeah, um, it should be interesting, I hope. And, yeah, I've got Usyk winning that one. 
Moving over to the States, this one's at the Forum in Inglewood, California, USA. It's going to be on HBO. Um, I think it's also on Box Nation. Yeah, I think it's also on Box Nation. So it's going to probably be a two-in-the-morning job, you know, Saturday night slash Sunday morning. Um, It's not a great card, really, this one, in all honesty. Two good fights on it, I suppose, but the actual... Um, full depth for the bill isn't a great one. But let's just talk about the co-main event. Lucas Martin Matisse, 38-4, and four, takes on Tuwa Kiram, who's 38-0. and 0. I remember the other week saying to Mikey Garcia that, you know, he's, I think he's like third in, in terms of the longest win streak in boxing. Well, this guy is actually 38-0. and 0, So I was wrong there. But this guy, I think, Ayers, if you took on all 38 of this man's opponents, you'd probably be 38-0 and 0 as well. He's, he has fought out of his nation. It's for the vacant WBA World Welterweight title. Matisse, I have, since he's come back, I know that before he went away, he was a big puncher. Since he's come back, he's still a big puncher. This guy, like I say, who he's taking on, he hasn't really fought out of his country, if I'm not mistaken. He's he, he's from Thailand. I think a couple fights ago, he took on a guy that was making his debut. Um, he's one of those guys, really, with a padded record from Asia. You know, we see many of them. And when it really matters, when they put it all on the line in a big fight, they get they get beaten quite easily. Um, Matisse surely gets a knockout here for me, as even though it's at one four seven. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I reckon Matisse win it as well. I reckon Matisse will finally win that world title. I'm just looking at this guy's record also, and he's only weighed in. I, I say he's only weighed in. He's only displaying his weights for two of his 38 fights and it seems like he is a natural 147 fighter so that is one slight thing that I suppose you could give him um there's nothing about his height on here there's nothing about his reach the only thing I can tell you is he's 25 so he's had a lot of fights for being 25 he's got 28 knockouts in those 38 wins um obviously Lucas Matisse, 35 years of age, but we know his power really is legit. He's put so many fighters away, including Lamont Peterson, as we mentioned earlier. But yeah, I can't tell you too much about the other guy, so there's not too much to break down, really. Just that I think Matisse will knock him out and become the world champion at welterweight, and I think he deserves it. I really like Matisse. Great, great fighter. Always in exciting fights. Um, now, the main event and the final fight to talk about here, I as Jorge Linares, 43-3, defending his WBA world lightweight title against Masito Gesta, who's 31-1 with two draws. Um, Mikey Garcia did say, once again, I hate to keep bringing him up, but yeah, he did say that after this fight, him and Linares will be fighting. They're going to have one fight you know, b- before fighting each other, obviously, Mikey Garcia's fight, I think, was scheduled for February 10th. It's now been pushed back to February, uh, sorry, to March the 10th because his opponent was slightly injured. I don't think it was anything serious. So, um, yeah, that's been delayed for a month. So that's now happening March the 10th. But Mikey Garcia said after they both fight their opponents that they'll both be fighting at some point, I think, in the summer. So, um, yeah. This is, I mean, it's a bit of a gimme fight, I feel. I mean, Gesta, he's, he's a Filipino guy, 31-1, like I say, 17 knockouts. The one loss he wasn't stopped, it was to Miguel Vasquez, who just got knocked out by Josh Taylor, but it was just over five years ago now, and it wasn't, well, I'm looking at it now, it wasn't It wasn't a close fight. He, he pretty much lost almost every round to Vasquez, but Vasquez was a good fighter five years ago, so... 
I don't know, he seems like he hasn't really been too active. He's had the six fights since then, one of them being a draw to Carlos Molina. And that Carlos Molina is not the former world champion one. That's the one that lost to Amir Khan that time. I think in his first fight with Virgil Hunter, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. But yeah, um, yeah, that Carlos Molina is not the good one. He got a split draw with him. Um, I'm looking really, he hasn't really done anything else to be honest since then, so you definitely have to favour Linares anyway, but I'm just looking at his resume and it doesn't look like a great one either, so like I say, not a great card really, I can see Linares probably stopping this guy, he is a southpaw though, that's all I can say, but like I say, the other thing that we shall mention is that in Linares' last fight, he took on Luke Campbell, who's obviously a southpaw. So, um, very strategic moves from the managers, I think, that we've exposed a little bit on this week's show. Um, Linares wins that one for you, I surely. I think Linares stops him. Yeah, and again, we're not we're not really analysing this guy too deeply because again, there's not too much to analyse here. The you know the standout names on his resume have beaten him, so um, it is what it is there. But yeah, should be a relatively easy win for Linares. Just get this fight out of the way. Get Mikey Garcia's fight out of the way as well, which is a much better fight than this one, by the way. Sergei Lipinets, undefeated world champion, and hopefully both guys come through unscathed and both guys get it on in the summer because that's the real fight we want to see. As isn't it really Linares and Garcia monster fight? Who would you favour in that fight, by the way? Mikey Garcia. Knockout or points at this stage? Obviously, we'll talk about it closer to time. Uh, not, uh, points. Points. Okay, interesting, interesting. All right, that really wraps up all the talking. We've done the reviewing, we did the news, we did the previewing, we brought you in one female, which was our first ever female on the show, and it's now time to bring you in our second ever female on the show. It's a female-themed show. It's now time, just before we wrap up the show, to welcome guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the CEO of boxing promotional outfit known as Main Events. It's, of course, Mrs. Kathy Duva. Kathy, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. How are you? Good I'm to very be here. good. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So, Kathy, I think it's important to start this interview with a little bit of a backstory for those that may not know the journey that Main Events has been on since it started out. I know that it's been a long road. I know that things have been far from easy and that everybody's put in a great deal of work, you know, for the company to achieve what it has achieved and to be where it is today. Please, Kathy, just give us a rundown of when the company first started out and, you know, the main events that have occurred in Main Events themselves. Oh Lord! Um, <laughs> it's been a long time. We're we're this this year uh, in May we will mark our 40th anniversary in business. Uh, that's 4-0, and uh, we we've had an awful lot of really big fights in that time span. Um, our first big fight was the the Leonard Hearns fight. That um, was pretty tough to top that. Um, over over the years though, we we've had some other big ones: the prior Aguayo rematch. Um, we've had you know Evander Holyfield, large part of his career most, uh, uh, I guess, the, the ones that really stood out in, in, in his were the, the three fights uh, with Riddick Bowe. Um, we've had Lennox Lewis's, you know, all but, I believe, one of the fights in his career. Uh, so there were some terrific matches, including his fight with Mike Tyson um, and his fights with Evander Holyfield and, and on and on. Um, and then, of course, uh, Fernando Vargas, who had some tremendous fights with De La Hoya and Trinidad, um, uh, Arturo Gatti, the, the, the trilogy with Ward and Gatti, of course, goes down in history as 
probably the three best, certainly the three best non-title fights that ever happened. And uh, and and now you know we're, we're we, we've moved through a, a another you know to another generation of fighters, um, you know, uh, with, with 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 Sergey Kovalev right now, who of course uh, one of the top pound for pound fighters in the world is fighting with us, and uh, you know, we've got quite a few young prospects who I hope to be able to tell you in a few years that have been in fights just as big. And you just mentioned there, and I wasn't aware of this. You mentioned there about Riddick Bowie, Vander Holyfield. So, so was it your card that the Fan Man came into that oh, crazy yeah. night? Oh my yeah, gosh! Absolutely crazy. I, I was, was that... sitting, I was sitting at ringside, and I was literally in the first row. And I, my my late husband was sitting to my right, and I saw this guy coming toward the ring. <laughs> and I'm saying, "There's a guy going to fly in the ring," and he's going to me. What are you talking about? Shut up! I'm watching the fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I kept poking him. No, no, there's a guy. He's flying into the ring. <laughs> he's like, no, no. Is he, what are you talking about? All of a sudden, there he was in the ring. That was quite a night. <laughs> yeah, to say the least, to say the least. Obviously, you mentioned there uh, your late husband, Dan Duva, obviously um, passed away in 1996. And since then, like I say, you've really stepped up to become the main, I, w- I want to say the main, the main man, but really the main lady, of course, at main events. <laughs> Um, main events, as you say there, it's been involved with many, many fighters, like you mentioned there, Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, Purnell Whitaker. I want to ask you this question, Kathy. When would you say, what what sort of jumps in your head when I ask you this question, what would you say was like the first kind of fight or maybe first scenario that you were in where you thought, wow, these fighters that we've got on our books, you know, it's really down to me. I'm really solely responsible for, you know, for the fruition of these great fighters' careers. Well, really, the truth is, the first time I realized it was on me alone was when uh, we were making the, in 2002, when we were making the rematch between Gaddy and Ward. That's the first, because up until then, I had people who were here working, you know, running the, running the company, uh, whether whether it was my, my, my husband's brother or our, uh, a few other people that we hired to come in here and do things. Um, those Those relationships didn't work out, and in the end, um, the first day that I was truly in charge of this company happened in, in uh, I guess it was in, in May of 2002, just before the Lewis Tyson fight. Um, and of course, that was also the same time that Gaddy fought um, Ward the first time. So the first deal I ever really went in and negotiated myself was was for Gaddy Ward too. And the rest of Gaddy's career, uh, which was amazing, we did nine sellout shows in a row in Atlantic City. Uh, and, and that was that was kind of the, the first time that you know it was really me, and I had to go out and do it myself. And I and I felt that you know oh shit you know this I got to do this right. This is on me. And Excellent. I'm very proud of uh, what, what we did with him. And since then, you know, Tomas Demick's career and certainly Sergey Kovalev's career have been you know things that that were when I say me me with the staff that's here right now because without them you know I, I couldn't do it. They were all tremendous. No, brilliant, brilliant. I want to ask you this question also, just before we kind of get on to the more recent things. What would you say is your best memory so far as a boxing promoter? Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know if I can pick one, but the night that Holyfield beat Douglas certainly stands out. We won the heavyweight title. (laughs) That was very big, uh, especially, you know, with the third round knockout, the way he did it, exactly the way George Benton told my husband and I on the way to the arena that he would do it (laughs) 
said he's going to wait for that uppercut. He's going to take a step back. He's going to throw the right hand. He's going to knock him out. <laughs> That's just what he did. Um, uh, that night, um, and, you know, one that's kind of, I guess, surprising, but uh, it, it was, it was I think it was the second time uh, we had ever won a world title. We had a fighter years ago named Rocky Lockridge. He knocked out Roger Mayweather in the first round of their fight in a fight that Rocky was given no chance to win. And uh, that was kind of spectacular, too. So those two kind of jumped to mind. Those ones they didn't expect you to win that way. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course. And getting on to what's kind of happening, you know, at, the, at this present stage and maybe a little bit of the recent past. Obviously, main events have signed Sergei Kovalev. That happened back in 2012. Kovalev has gone on to become one of the best fighters in the sport. Was it ever a bit of a risk in the beginning with Sergei, not really knowing if he could, you know, capture the imagination of the American audience? You know I had to tell you, from the moment I laid eyes on him, there's not been a moment of doubt in my mind. Um, <clears throat> he has something special. And I saw it that night. Um, you know, he, his manager had approached us and said, you know, just put him on a card and pay him whatever you want and put in any opponent you want because I've taken him to every promoter in the United States and Canada and nobody wants to sign him. And I know in my heart he can win. And that was, of course, Agus Klimas, who has now been, for the second year in a row, been named the manager of the year by the Boxing Writers Association. And... Uh, I guess I had met him a few months earlier, and he seemed like such a nice man and so sincere, and uh, we had that great platform at that point with the NBC shows, so we were able to take a chance on some people. It was a great luxury to have, to, to have the platform to do that. Um, we stuck him on an undercard against a guy, Darnell Boone, who he'd had some trouble with previously, uh, got a yeah. disputed close decision against him, I guess. And... Uh, I just, I just looked at his eyes and I told this story before, but I, that, that, I saw Ray Leonard, the eyes of Ray Leonard on the night that he beat Thomas Hearns. I saw him in the ring that night. I looked up, you know, and this again early in my career, the first time I was really that close to a great fighter. Um, I saw, it's weird, Sergey's blue eyes, you know, Ray has brown, they, don't, they look nothing the same, but I saw, that's all I could think about was Ray Leonard's eyes. And um, I watched him smoke. Uh, Darnell Bone and uh, I was like running up to Agus. Yeah, sure, we'll sign your fighter, no problem. I, I just said this is it, this is the guy. And then to, to, to confirm my belief, because you know I I, uh, I would always defer to his decision. Russell Peltz came running up to me and said, Oh my God, that guy. Who wouldn't you put him in with? And I went, I couldn't think of a single guy. <laughs> so let's do it. So. Um, I don't think he was a risk at all. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. I mean, obviously, it's it's been a fantastic it's been a, a fantastic thing. And he's a guy that Kovalev, especially, he's a guy that you personally have got a great uh, relationship with. It's, it's clear to see that there's something very special there. Something that most promoters and fighters do not have. What makes the relationship such a good one between you both, Kathy? Yeah, I don't know. You know, he very early on at one point he. He he referred to me as his mother and Agus as his father. You know, um, I think he he sees it that way. I took a chance on him when nobody else would. Um, and, and you know what? He came along when I needed him. I needed to find someone. We had that series. We had an opportunity to go out and build somebody. We had to find the guy. And uh, I, I think we were just somehow destined to meet each other because I think we were we were exactly what the other needed at the moment we met. And uh, thus far. Um, Wood, you know, uh, he has uh, proven that that he he is what I thought I saw that night, which is you know a, a guy who really has has the makings of an extraordinary fighter, a great fighter. Um, you know, made it to the top of the pound for pound list, still on it, 
and his career is, you know, far from over at this point. I think he's going to see a lot more excitement and a lot, a lot more, have a lot more fun with Sergey. Yeah, we certainly hope so. And I must say this, Kathy, again, we know that boxing is, is a game where there's so many fantastic stories, so many crazy stories. Obviously, we mentioned the fan man a little bit earlier, but one of my favorite stories was actually one that you told. It was one where Kovalev had this, this, this street fight back in Russia when it was snowing. <laughs> and I have tried to tell people about this, and I cannot tell the story as good as what you told it. Please, please retell oh, that beautiful story. <laughs> Oh God! If I can remember now, Sergey tells us that he was uh, he, his car broke down uh, right across the street from uh, uh, a shop that would be similar to what we would call a bodega here in the United States—a little shop that sold, uh, you know, necessities. Um, he he went over to uh, to ask for help, and uh, he he, uh, he he was 18 years old, so uh, he, he he was he, he went over to ask for help and. For some reason, the guy in the shop wasn't able to help him. He saw somebody walk out of the shop and, and walk toward his car. Sergey went up to his car and uh, and said he needed help. And the guy, you know, wanted to fight him. So Sergey, uh, he was arguing with him or whatever. And uh, the guy, you know, came and approached him, and Sergey, uh, you know, beat him up. So uh, he, he goes back to trying to, uh, to to get his car, you know, fixed. Something was wrong with the tire, I guess. And um, the guy comes back, and now he's got a bunch of his friends with him. And he talks about how these guys come at him one after the other. And I think to myself, like, either I have to run or I have to stay and fight. And, oh, my God, you know, there's like there's eight, eight ten guys. They're big guys. And so he, he decides that he's going to stay and fight. So he starts fighting, and he knocks one guy out and the next guy and the next guy, you know, as they're coming at him. Um, he said, you know, at the, at the last moment, he, he, he had a bat in his car and he went to grab it and he decided at the last moment, no, I can't do that. I could, you know, I, I could hurt him badly. And so um, the, the the last couple guys that he, I guess he hadn't beat up walked away. And uh, another guy comes across the street now from this shop and he says to him, you know, what what happened? And Sergey just said, um, you know, I need help with my car. <laughs> and he goes, what happened to these people? He just said, well, um, I, you know, I, I, they went to sleep. <laughs> and, goes, and the guy looks at me and says, well, I think I'm going to help you because I don't want you to beat me up. So uh, he, he tells it way better than that. And, that and, is I mean, the best. A lot. That is the but best he, story. he really did this. He beat up a bunch of guys in the snow and he left them, he said he left them all there sleeping. They were all uh, sleeping but he in the snow, yeah. Left them sleeping in the snow. He did get out of there, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is one of the best stories. I mean, there's there's only a little, real, real short list of fighters who could tell you that story and you'd believe it. And Kovalev yeah. is that guy. I believe him 100%. And that's the best story ever. But anyways, um, tell our listeners, if you can, Kathy, about some of some of your other fighters. You mentioned there the prospects. I know that you can quite easily go on the main events website and you can look at the full roster there. But, you know, just some of the names, if you could reel some off. I know you've got Cassius Chaney, a really exciting heavyweight prospect. Who are some of the other guys? 
Uh, well, we've got a, a guy named Vaughn Alexander, who's the brother of Devin Alexander. He's a middleweight. He's exciting. Um, he's going to be fighting on Sergey's undercard on the 3rd of uh, March at Madison Square Garden um, in New York. Uh, we've also got, uh, got Frank Alarza has signed with us recently. He's a, 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 mid, a welterweight, a uh, big favorite in New York, sells a lot of tickets for us there. Uh, again, very exciting style. Anybody comes out to see In fact, his fight which was off TV when Sergey fought there in, in November. It was one of the best fights of the night. Um, we have a kid, uh, Madiar Askayev from Kazakhstan, who will be fighting on, on March 3rd. Uh, also, um, Mirim Nursultanov, also from Kazakhstan, two tremendous fighters. Uh, Mirim is a middleweight. Um, Madiar is, I think, fighting around 140. Um, both, both exciting and fun guys to watch. Um, we have uh, back backroom Martel Soleev, who is uh, also signed with Crusher Promotions, another uh, junior middleweight with a lot of upside, a lot of potential. He'll be on that show. Um, we've got LaShawn Rodriguez, who's a kid from uh, Brooklyn, uh, and uh, also Ismael uh, Villarreal, who, who is another tremendous fighter that just turned pro on our last show in November, both of them young and with big, big, uh, big, big futures. Um, and uh, who else? Uh, <laughs> we, we have an awful lot of fights. I think there's 12 fights on the card that night because we just had so many guys that were, you know, it's their first fight of the year, so everybody's getting their chance. Um, they're all going to be, uh, they're, they're, they're all going to be tested. They're all going to be in good, good, good fights. Um, we've also got a guy. Um, oh yeah, turning pro on the card, uh, Marquise Williams, who's a terrific heavyweight, uh, just fought in the U.S. National Tournament and. Uh, he's going to be turning pro as a cruiserweight, and he will be on that card as well. So um, I think that's pretty much the roster at the moment. And, um, of course, Dimitri Bivol, uh, who is with World of Boxing and who we are working with, uh, will be fighting Sullivan Barrera, who is the last man, uh, member of our, our, our uh, what you call it, our stable, I guess you could say, uh, in the co-feature, which is another tremendous pick em fight in the light heavyweight division. Uh, Dimitri being a world titleist, WBA world titleist from St. Petersburg, and Sullivan um, challenging him, Sullivan from Miami, Florida. Uh, Sergey, of course, is fighting Igor Mikalkin, and uh, from also from Russia, and uh, I think we just got our, we're going to have ourselves, you know, a great card top to bottom, and you know, all of our prospects are on it. So, if you want to see main events uh, roster, come out and watch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Some some really really great fighters that you've named there. Um, you mentioned your your next event being March the third at Madison Square Gardens. Obviously, um, Kovalev will top the bill, like you say, against McCorkin. But the chief support fight, the you know the fight that you mentioned, Bivol and Barrera, that is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant fight. So uh, yeah, congratulations on making that because that's a that's an excellent fight. I didn't know that you were involved with Bivol. I knew that you were somewhat involved with Barrera. What's the who's who's sort of more a main events fight? I'm a little bit confused with that one. Well, no, Barrera's been here. I mean, he's been here a long time and he's our fighter, of course. Uh, Bivol is with World of Boxing and uh we were just partnering with them on this sh- on this show for this fight and uh if things work out and he's successful, perhaps Bill will continue to partner with us, but um you know, he he we have a good relationship with his promoter and uh not just with Dimitri, but, you know, there's been talk about working with them on some other fighters here in the U.S. But okay. Sullivan's our fighter, and he's been here, you know, he's been with main events for quite a while. Um, I actually signed him twice. 
um, once earlier in his career and uh, when he was with another promoter and that uh, that relationship blew up with the other promoter and so he was no longer here and then he came back. So uh, he's, in fact, he fought um, in the first television fight on that NBC series where, where Sergey Kovalev fought uh, back in, uh, was that 2010 uh, or 2012 rather? Um, yeah, 12. Uh, he, he, he was on the first television fight on that series on NBC. So Sullivan has been with us uh, on and off for quite some time. Okay. He's quite quite colorful and exciting, and as anybody who's seen him fight can attest, you know it's, it's always a it's it, it's always an exciting fight with Sullivan, and he really he brings it, and he's really excited about this fight, and he wants you know this is his, really his first shot at a world title. You know he did fight Andre Ward, but no title was at stake, so this is it, and uh, this is a big chance, and he's he's going to be there. And Bivol, tremendously talented fighter, um, you know much less experienced at, at 12 and 0, uh, with 10 KOs. Um, but perhaps a bigger amateur career than Sullivan had. So um, it's a really, really interesting matchup, and you know it's a real pick 'em fight, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be a great night. We're really excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited too. I think uh, Barrera's carrying a lot of a lot of great momentum into that fight as well. Um, what yeah. I want to also ask you, Kathy, is Glaskov still part of the main event stable? And if so, what what has actually happened to him? He's disappeared. Well, you know, the injury that he suffered was pretty catastrophic. Um, oh, I don't yeah. think people don't think really appreciated it that night because somehow this guy managed to walk from the ring back to the locker room, and I don't, I, did, I will never know how uh, without limping. Uh, but he he tore his ACL, he tore his meniscus, he dislocated his knee. Um, this is the kind of injury that sometimes causes people to to lose their their, their part of their leg because of the, the cut of the cut the cutoff of the blood supply during that dislocation. I think he managed to push his knee back in place on his own, um, which is probably how he was able to walk back to the locker room. But um, it was a really bad injury. So he's had surgery on it now multiple times, and um, we were just in touch with him the other day, in fact. So, you know, he's certainly ours in our hearts, but I don't know, um, you know, when and if he will be able to return to the ring. Yeah, it's a great shame. Just to remind the listeners, um, Vacheslav Glaskov's the guy that was fighting Charles Martin for the vacant IBF World Heavyweight title in that fight that arguably he was winning up until the freak injury occurred, just to remind people there. Um, I want to ask you, Kathy, about five quickfire questions, if I can. Ones where, if you just give me like a like a one-sentence answer... Um, if I throw a few at you, this 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 might be quite fun. Maybe not. We'll have to wait and see. Um, who would you say is your fate or has been your favourite fighter to work with, past and present? Oh wow! Uh, I don't like to talk about present, <laughs> but if I do, I guess it's Sergey at this point. Uh, but in the past, um, it's 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 Gaddy or or Whitaker, and I, I can't pick one. Oh, Love them fine. both. That's fine. <laughs> and who is the or who are the the easiest major or rival promoter to deal with? Oh, you know, most of them are easy, um, but I would say at this point it would be Golden Boy. Okay, okay. And the best fight that you've ever been involved in? The best fight? Best fight. Oh, God. Um, I guess it's the Gaddy Ward yeah. What one or two? <laughs> I guess I'd say two because getting one. <laughs> yeah, you can't argue with that. Um, my next question was going to be the best win that you've ever been involved in, but that may be the exact same answer. Perhaps, or or again back to that Holyfield Douglas because that um, 
that changed everything. It changed our lives. That was the thing that set, you know, set our company apart and really sent us on the way to becoming the major promoters. And the nicest slash friendliest boxer outside of the ring that you've ever met? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> probably Mark Freeland. Okay. Interesting Mark choice. Freeland, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, there's lots of really nice fighters, and but, you know, going to my head at this moment, I would say that's the first one that comes to mind. He's one of the nicest human beings God ever put on the earth. Yeah. I, not just as fighter, one of the nicest people. Yeah, no, so he's yeah, for to sure. In that category. And just coming down to the last couple questions now, Kathy. Um, are there any other fights that you want to make or want to see this year? You know, including the fighters in your stable that you can tell us about at all. Perhaps maybe some point in the summer or the or the fall period of the year. Yeah, you know, Sergey really wants to fight Biedrbiev. Of course, he's got to get past McCalkin first, but that's a fight that has been waiting for years to happen. And uh, since they were in the amateurs, so that's when we would be pointing forward down the road. Certainly, Sergey and, and Bivol, you know, is, is something that again, if Bivol is successful, uh, has to happen. If Sullivan is successful and wins the title, then Sergey and Sullivan would be a natural for for later this year. Um, that's that's what jumps to mind first. Uh, I'd also like to see some of my prospects, um, like like Vaughn Alexander, maybe Galarza, will be on prospect, but you know, move up into significant fights. We'd like to see that happen this year too. Several of them are going to be ready for step up fights this year, so we're. we're be a big year very exciting stuff and we were asking everybody in december what was on their christmas wish list for 2018 however obviously it's not it's not december now but just for you kathy we will extend that question to january here what is on your wish list to achieve in this calendar year in a realistic world i'd like to find a way to get another boxing series and we work on that every day um, the, the kind of platform that we had with NBC uh, from 2012 to 2014 was, you know, really enabled us to go out and, and find some terrific fighters like Kovalev and Glasgow, who, but for a freak action, it could be heavyweight champ today. So uh, <laughs> we have uh, uh, always, always, always the, the challenge is to find that series, and you know, we're going to keep keep working until we get another one. So maybe this year, we hope. Absolutely, fingers crossed. And just before we let you go, Kathy, is there anything at all that you want to get across to the UK listeners? Anything at all? No, just that you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to see how how big boxing has become in the UK. Uh, it's it's really nice uh, to see it, watch it. You know, the resurgence that it's had there, and um, I, I you know really hope that uh, you know we can we can duplicate that here at some point. But uh, in the meantime, I'm, I'm a little jealous and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really, I'm a little upset. I don't have a heavyweight to bring over there to fight Anthony Joshua. But um, I'll, I'll get there eventually. In a years. You never know. <laughs> It'll be somebody. I promise that. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Okay, listen, Kathy, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you this week. I wish you continued success with main events. Thank you for your time, and I'm sure we'll catch up again sometime soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You have a good night. Okay, and this wraps up episode 119 of the Box Hard Podcast. Omar Figaro did text me back in the end. He said that the fight will be at 140, so that should be an interesting fight there. Another 
big fight also that got made whilst we've been on air. What we didn't talk about just a few moments ago in the news part is that Badu Jack will now be challenging Adonis Stevenson for the WBC World Cruiserweight title on May 19th in Canada. That one really is a humongous fight. Really looking forward to that. A huge, huge night that one will be. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the double Olympic champion and double professional world champion, Miss Clarissa Shields, and also the number one female boxing promoter in the world, Kathy Duva. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I, as Summer, has been I, as Summer. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.